Well, good morning and welcome. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And before we get into continuing our sermon series that we're calling Be Brave, we're about to, we're about to enter into, or we have, week three of our sermon series that we're calling Be Brave. Um, I, I want to lift up something that we've kind of touched on throughout the last couple sermon series, that our lives, our lives are more than moments, but we can't overestimate the power of moments in our lives and that there are moments God has made us for. And so there's, in my time with you now, I've been at this church for a little over a year. And by now, many of you know some of the significant moments in my life. I've shared some of those with y'all. And there was a time when, you know, the way I grew up in the church. And so there was never really a time in my life where I could tell you that I didn't believe in God. There's never been a time in my life where I didn't have some sense of, of trying to, to reach the potential that I felt like God gave me. But there was, there was a time, there was a time in my life where Jesus wasn't, wasn't Lord. Jesus wasn't Savior for me. And that's another significant moment in my life where I, and again, I confess, I was still pretty young when, when I just finally turned to God and said, okay, I, I, th- this is this is. I don't understand it all, but, but I confess that I will follow you, Jesus. And so for me, it happened in a big praise gathering that was called Acquire the Fire, if any of you remember that, up in, up in Indiana and in Michigan. I can't remember if it was in Indiana or Michigan, but there's significant transformative moments in our lives that this series in a lot of ways represents for us as we've been challenging each other to be brave, to be courageous, to take some steps. We've talked about the value of our church. One of the main core values of our church is everyone has a next step. And so this series um, in a lot of ways represents maybe some transformative moments for us in our lives and new commitments. And that's what Big Weekend's all about. There's nothing about Big Weekend, and for those of you who are kind of fuzzy on the details and want to know more about Big Weekend, I'll tell you all that you need to know right now and that it's just, it's, it's a normal worship service. We're going to have a normal Sunday schedule. We're just being very intentional to be more hospitable and welcoming. We want, again, want to be generous and give God our best. So across all services, we just want to we just want to do that. We want to be brave and courageous as a staff, and we want to challenge you to do that as well as we, as we try to invite our community, some of those familiar faces, some of those people who have not received God's grace, who we haven't reached in Mansfield, in Burleson, in Midlow, in Arlington, in some of our surrounding areas, right? So we're just being more intentional of creating spaces and times for these transformative moments so that we can grow closer to God. So one way you can do that this weekend as we're gonna continue, this is the theme of our discussion this morning, is through these little door hangers that you may have seen. So, so one step in being brave this week, maybe taking one of these door hangers and, and writing a little note on them. So step two, you can write a personal note, and then step three is to maybe hang them on your neighbor's door. And whether that's the kind of invitation that you make or a more of personal verbal invitation, what we're talking about this morning is, is this idea of being brave in our invitation and being brave in our relationships. Because for me, I believe one of the biggest problems of the American church today is our unwillingness to share the truth about God with our words. I think it's that we're just a little unwilling. We've talked, we touched on a little bit last week. When we say no to God, we just think sometimes that, ah, someone else will do what I'm unwilling to do. Or sometimes we say no to God because we just don't want to do it. 
We might be afraid or we just don't want to do it. And this morning, I want us to think about what is it that we're unwilling to say? That some of us are a little more comfortable with our actions and doing certain things. But we get a little uncomfortable when it comes to saying, because maybe we don't know the right words. We feel like we have to have a script or, or something. So that's going to be the framework and the background of our discussion this morning as we look at Acts. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. And as we dive into the book of Acts, we're going to be, we're coming right into this place where Peter and John are being interrupted from speaking. They're being interrupted, uh, interrupted from teaching as we start with verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So now, what is it that's disturbing them is, is one question. We, we need to note the Sadducees here are involved. And so throughout the early church and throughout scripture, we've got these different groups of people that we, we hear a lot about the Pharisees. We hear a little less about the Sadducees in scripture. There are other groups called the Essenes and still other groups called the Zealots. And so the Zealots think of like political revolutionary type people that are trying to upend the political system and, and want to take back the, the country from Rome. The Essenes think of think of more monastic a more monastic type of group that want to be as pure as possible. So they're going to escape society. They're going to go be who they believe God's called them to be out in caves, all by themselves, away from society. The Pharisees we're pretty familiar with. Jesus encounters the Pharisees a lot. Uh, Pharisees trying to preserve and hold to the letter of the law of Scripture in the Old Testament, and the Sadducees are kind of more political savvy. They're really, they're really in bed with Rome and tight with Rome and, and are in charge of the temple system in a lot of ways. And they stay very, very close and have uh, a lot of wealth as they control the temple system. So it's the Sadducees and these temple guard type figures that are brought to our attention. And is it the resurrection? Because what's interesting about the Sadducees is the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection at all. The Pharisees do. Of course, in the Gospels, we don't see a lot of Pharisees coming to believe in the resurrection. But the Pharisees had a general belief in resurrection. The Sadducees dis didn't. So what, what is it that's astonishing and disturbing this group of people? Because it doesn't seem to be the resurrection per se. It doesn't seem to, believe, to, to be this belief that they are having an issue with, although it could be. And even if they disagree and that's part of it. It's secondary, I think. I don't, I don't think it's about belief in the resurrection per se that these Sadducees and these temple guards have a problem with. I think it's the effect of the message, the content of Peter and John's message and the effect. I think it's more the effect that it's having is the issue because they stand to lose a lot in their cushy positions of privilege and authority and power that thousands upon thousands of people are coming to listen to Peter and John. So secondary to the actual beliefs that are being expressed, I think it's more the effect that they're having on the people, especially because of the name 
that they're using. So they seize Peter and John to hush them up so there, there isn't this disturbance, there isn't this, this big crowd that continues to assemble because it's already gotten big and they take him and put him in jail at night because they feel like they can get away with it at night. They're a little too popular, there's a little too much action. The people favor Peter and John too much to try to pull any of this off during the day. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. So next day, this day, now that it's morning and the next day it's judgment day, and there's a decision that has to be made about Peter and John and what is it that they're going to do. And we just were introduced to some people we may have heard before if we think back to the Gospels, the Gospel of John in particular in chapter 18. This may be familiar to you and we've heard of these guys before. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish, Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So just like Jesus before them, just like Jesus before them, Peter and John now have this opportunity. They're before these people that we've seen before, these same authority figures. Will they imitate Jesus or will they respond differently and allow their fear to get the better of them? They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Peter does exactly what Jesus says to do in the gospel of Luke chapter 12 when Jesus says, when you, when you all are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry. Do not worry how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say, Peter faithfully responds by highlighting this absurdity of being challenged by healing someone, healing a lame man. Just the chapter before, because this doesn't really make sense. It's like nobody was healed in what we just read. But at the beginning of chapter three, there was a man who was over 40 years old, who'd been lame his entire life. He sat outside of the same gate outside of the temple every single day. And Peter and John approach him and they heal this man. And this man is just overjoyed and astonished and, and can't believe it and wants to know more. And he's enthusiastic about this miracle. And so he clings to Peter and John. He doesn't let him go and he follows him. And it's part of this commotion that people start to take notice. And this crowd starts to come near and develop. Thousands of people start to pay attention because everybody saw this same guy there every single day. They recognize him. And so that's who's being referred to here. This 
man is right next to Peter and John as they're teaching the people. This is the setting the authorities are trying to remove Peter and John from. But Peter doesn't slow down. Peter doesn't slow down from having been arrested and says, the, and, and says this is the only, only possible all this that's happening, all this commotion and all these people and this man being healed, it's only possible because Jesus is raised from the dead. There's no other name by which we can be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. And see, this they can't stand. This, this is an issue for the Sadducees, for the temple authorities. This salvation is found in no one else. Because see, Rome, one of the things about ancient Rome is they were quick to accommodate all belief systems, any God you wanted to believe in, however disgusting it is. And there were some disgusting forms of worship in some of these pagan temples and these cultic practices. No matter, Rome was, was happy to accommodate it's just so long as they bow the knee, bend the knee to Caesar. Just so long as no one misunderstood who the real son of God was and who was the divine authority, which was Caesar, which was the emperor. And Rome was quick to accommodate and be pluralistic and, and let you say and believe whatever you wanted to believe. But this here, this can't stand. Salvation is found in no one else. That means if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't. And the name of Caesar is so small and pitiful in comparison to the name of Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. And we live in a very different culture in a very different time where we're not necessarily faced with the same, the same kind of a culture of influence that worships pagan deities in the way in which this culture did. But still, it is, it is a powerful message that some in our culture cannot stand. Salvation is found in no one else. There are no other gods. There, we cannot find salvation as good as our jobs are and as much as we enjoy our salaries and our staffs and the boss we have is so great. Salvation can be found in no one else. We cannot find salvation in trying to have a kid you know, I met a lot of people that if we just could, if we could just have a family, if we could just have kids, that would solve all of our problems. Salvation cannot be found in our prescription drug routine. Salvation cannot be found in moving away for whatever reason. Salvation cannot be found in anything else, in anyone else, in no other name. Salvation can't be found in karma, in doing good things, in winning, in success. Salvation can't be found in trying harder. Salvation cannot be found in anything else and in no one but Jesus. Peter is telling the authorities he stands before that their own power and their own authority cannot save them. <laughs> no one else. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
But since they could see, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they, they conferred together. So their boldness, their boldness, their courage causes these men to recognize who they are. They didn't realize before. So there's something that God is doing with our courage here and our bravery here. There's a recognition that they have that until, until Peter stepped up, until Peter spoke, they didn't recognize the connection. They didn't connect the dots and Peter wasn't concerned anymore. There was a time when Peter was concerned about the affiliation. There was a time Peter was afraid of the connection. We know how Peter denied Christ three times and, and notice Peter isn't concerned anymore. And then he doesn't have a script. He's, he's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to give him the words. And when he speaks and when he's courageous, there's a recognition that these powers have. They recognize now this connection. And we don't, we don't know if Peter and John are even aware that they've made this connection. And I think this highlights for us what God does when we do decide to be courageous and when we do decide to be brave, that there's people in our lives that we, we don't really know what they've been going through, that for some people it maybe they're realizing the love that they had at first. That for many people in our lives, even though our culture has shifted, there's some people that have been around church. There's some people that maybe have grown up in church, but it got bored. They got bored with it. Or parents stopped making me go, or we ran with a different crowd for whatever reason. Then when we have the courage to share our testimony, when we have the courage to speak the truth about God, there's a recognition there's, there's, there's this awareness that they're given. It's like, it's familiar. It's, it's, I remember what I used to know, what I used to love. For, for many of us, there are people in our lives that never been to church, that don't know anything about Jesus, but it's just funny. Throughout their life, people that have stepped in the gaps for them and have helped them have all been men and women of faith, but no one's been courageous enough to share more about their story with them. And yet I think even more, even more than this, I think what scripture is telling us that even if, if we don't have a frame of reference, if there's people in our life that don't have a frame of reference for the grace and truth of God, that still when we're courageous and when we're brave enough to share a word, there's this recognition of truth that they don't really have a frame of reference for. Like there's a beauty to that word that's spoken. There's an authenticity that's received because we're being real, we're being vulnerable. And there's just a transcendent way that God uses our word to change someone, to make a difference in someone's life, even if they don't have a tangible frame of reference in their life. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. As great as the response has been to Peter and John's teaching and as amazing as this miracle is, so great that everyone in Jerusalem knows it. Everyone in Jerusalem is aware of it and know it. These men, Annas and Caiaphas, have seen and heard and condemned Jesus. Now they see and hear his disciples. They recognize and they make the connection. They realize who it is that is before them. They acknowledge the miracle. They cannot deny it, yet they know, but they don't believe. Believing and knowing are not the same thing. We cannot confuse 
believing with knowing. And, and knowing is an important component of our believing, but it isn't a substitute for it. It's important for us to realize that, that everyone wants to know the news and have information, but not everyone wants to understand the truth and have transformation. And that everyone in Jerusalem, as fast as this word has spread, everyone knows it, but not everybody believes it. Enough people were experiencing transformation though that a decision has to be made about what to do. So, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, they say, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let, they let him go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The problem is the name. The problem is the name. They could get away with saying whatever they wanted to say. They could say all kinds of crazy things. They could do all kinds of things. But it's the name that invoking Jesus' name, when they invoke Jesus' name, miracles start to manifest and sins are forgiven and healing happens. These, these people start to recognize and can't deny. What's amazing is these authority, these authority figures can't deny themselves what is happening. They can't refute it. They can't refute it at all. Peter and John, these ordinary and unschooled people, we realize that God often chooses us, us ordinary folk, us unschooled folk to lead his people. And so much of us get caught up in the qualifications that we have and don't have. And yet we have been given everything that we need we don't need a script. We think we have to have the right words. We, do, we, we, don't, we, we don't have the vocabulary. And yet I believe scripture is true, that if we're just courageous enough to say something to someone in faith, that God takes care of the rest. Many of us, though, have heard this phrase, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. So St. Francis of Assisi, amazing, like amazing. Here's the truth about St. Francis. He actually did preach using words and he never said that. So you can go back, you can go back and try to, I, you know, there, there's just these quotes that are out there and, and I feel like we've probably betrayed John Wesley because we've kind of mixed some of his words together and probably put some things together that he never really said. But preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. St. Francis is attributed to saying that he actually never said it. And, and the truth is, is this statement, although well-intended, creates this false dichotomy of putting kind of words and actions against each other. And, and we need to, to speak and preach the gospel using both, using our words and our action. But we tend to be more willing to do the gospel and less willing to speak the gospel. So here's a picture that Pastor David and I in our meeting 
in our meeting this week about, about this weekend and thinking about our lives of faith, here's maybe a framework that might be helpful for us, these circles, in helping others follow Jesus and thinking about how this works in our own relationships and our own life and our own walk with the Lord, that it starts with the heart, right? We have this experience. We have a, for some of us, it's a life of experiences or accumulation of experiences. And we all have to come to that place where, where we either say yes or no. We either believe or we don't believe. And it's a matter of, a, of the heart. It's very personal. And we understand that our faith isn't just some intellectual ascent or something that stays inward, but it transforms and manifests itself in the way we live our lives. So it's a life lived. And we live out our life. And of course, as we live out our life, we have relationships with people. And so our deepest relationships, our family, our friends, our coworkers, understand, start to learn a bit who we are. And so it should affect all of our relationships. And here's where we hesitate and hold back, I think, in our lives and helping others know and understand what we're about and understanding the good news. This is where we hesitate and hold back is, is, is the opportunities that we're given. The opportunities that we have that in the conversation that we have to encourage someone, to help people understand what we've, what we've seen and what we've heard. And so we don't make then the invitation. So we don't give someone a chance to respond. And this sort of is the cycle in our life that we're given these opportunities that's relationship-based. It's not about coercion. It's not about manipulation. It's about tend attending upon the people that God has put in our midst and being as willing to say something as we are willing to do something. As willing to speak and share about the testimony that we have. What we have seen and heard, Peter and, Peter and John say, we can't help, we can't help but share what we have seen and what we have heard. So we've challenged ourselves to have an application piece at the end of every week. And my challenge for us this week is to say something to someone about what you have seen and heard. To say something to someone about what you have seen and heard. Because I know many of you have seen transformation. You have seen signs of grace in the lives of, of other people and in your own life. And part of it isn't about having a script. It isn't about any of that. It's just answering simple questions about yourself as to why you're even here. What, what difference has faith made in your life? And how might that encourage someone and be aware and attentive to that? Sharing with someone what you have heard. You have heard about the life that we're called to live. You've heard stories about Jesus. You've heard of the kingdom that he's preparing and that he is building. What do you make of what you have heard? about Jesus. Because as for me, I think it's the most compelling, the most beautiful promise in life that I've, I've, I've ever heard and known. And, and I believe it's true. I do. So our challenge is to say something to someone about what you have seen and heard. Because there's someone in your life and there's someone in my life who's dying to hear a word about Jesus. It's about the name, because it's, it's the only name that has any power. It's the only name that points to someone who's, who's made us and put us in this place and called us. There's no other name. There's no other name. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Let us pray.
Holy God, forgive us for our unwillingness to do what you've called us to do and especially the times where we've just passed up opportunities to say, to share the way in which you've changed our lives and affected our lives, to encourage someone. Lord, in your name is power. And so God, help us see opportunities to share what you've done in our lives to help people understand what we've seen and heard. And no one, no one can deny what, we, what we've seen and heard and what we've experienced and claimed and named for ourselves. That our truth, the truth of our lives, really points to you. It's not about us. So God, help us, give us courage and bravery to speak into someone's life this week and going forward. That it becomes the rhythm and, and routine of our life to be ready to share what we've seen and heard as we are evidence of your grace. We are evidence of a transformation that you hope to, to accomplish in so many lives as you continue to this day to call people to your family. God, help us do all that we can to bring people closer to you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.